the three big things when it comes to a home gym, kettlebells, pull-up bar. And by the way, the pull-up bar is you could hang rings or a TRX strap. You know, you can do whatever. Um, I love that. And then the big piece is the cardio. And that's all you really need uh, to get an incredible workout and to never be bored and to just crush it. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. That is the story of human progress. One inch at a time. I'm your host, Joe DiStefano, and you're listening to Stack. Hey guys, welcome to this week's AMA. I am excited to be bringing you another episode that I hope is empowering and fun. Today we're going to dive into some ways that you can kind of take your home gym life to the next level. And I think this is timely for two reasons. Number one is... I think it's clear that sadly and unfortunately, I think the gym, I think the whole like workout from home thing is, uh, is kind of the new normal, dare I say. And um, we'll see what 21, 2021 has in store for us in terms of what we're able to do at the gym. Um, but I think more and more people are gearing up and, you know, converting that guest bedroom into a into a yoga sanctuary or that garage into a a training room. And, and I think that, you know, based on the number of questions I've been getting and with Christmas and the holidays kind of coming up and of course, New Year's, uh, I wanted to kind of give you guys a bit of a, you know, I I don't want to call it a beginner's guide, but maybe, maybe a beginner's guide to buying kettlebells, but then just kind of a, a brief overview of what I think about some of the most common cardio uh, pieces of cardio equipment that people put in their homes. Um, but before we do, I wanted to tell you guys about this incredibly delicious smoothie that I've been making. I um, I bought this protein here in Europe, and it's tough to find. Like you know, in the U.S., it's very easy to you know find like super top tier. Uh, you know, proteins and grass fed and organic and, and it's a little less in Europe. You know, I don't think the market is quite there and, and definitely, you know, from a distribution standpoint, you know, it's, it's, there's not a lot of the brands that you find in the U S available in Europe. And that's a problem that, you know, I'm considering trying to solve in some capacity, but anyways, uh, the one protein that I found that is just like really great. It's super cool. Actually, if you're in Europe, I'll link in the show notes. It's on Amazon Germany. Uh, and I think they're on Amazon France and and stuff too, but, but basically the smoothie, the funny thing is I finally find this great protein, but the only flavor they have is salted caramel. You can't get natural. You can't get vanilla. You can't get chocolate. And so honestly, I just think salted caramel is kind of nasty, but it's this primal protein where, you know, it's got like cinnamon and, you know, it's, it's, it's not that delicious when you have it straight. So I've been making these incredible smoothies and I wanted to kind of give you guys this awesome recipe because it's fall right now and, and we're gearing up. I've been buying pureed pumpkin, um, baby food and, and sweet potato 
And what I do is I just put a can of that in. Uh, you know, you can put ice, you can put whatever, but I do like coconut cream and I do the can of pumpkin and then I put in all my like, you know, I've got like, um, some sun potion stuff. I got some, uh, some hemp juice powder I put in, I put cinnamon in. So I put a bunch of my like spices and, and Ayurvedic herbs and stuff like that superfoods. Um, and then I put my creatine in and then I drop this, you know, salted caramel and this protein that they've got, uh, available here. It's a blend of grass fed whey. And because I'm kind of lifting heavy right now, I'm, I'm into that. Um, and it's also got a whole bunch of collagen and it's also got, uh, some MCT and it's also got like a whole bunch of the ingredients that, you know, it's a little bit like strong coffee in that sense that it's like all the stuff that you would want to put in, it's already in there. So it's a cool product. But anyways, the point of this story is this pureed baby food, pumpkin and sweet potato is like the all-star ingredient. It's like, it takes to the next level. It's like, you're not using, you know, super sugary banana. That's kind of like spike your insulin and and kind of mess you up. And actually, you know, truth be told, a few times I've actually taken like a tiny bit of banana. Um, I've even put avocado in. It's, it doesn't taste quite as delicious, but um, I've even put, you know, Amelia was making banana bread the other day and I just took like, you know, a little bit of banana. And it's like, it's so funny because bananas are kind of, they're a little too sugary, you know? And by the way, like if you're new on the sort of paleo bandwagon and you're kind of like food quality is number one. Okay. So like, don't stress about a banana. If like three weeks ago you were like, you know, putting sugar in your coffee or, um, you know, if you're new to the world of primal eating, then a banana is fine. Like, sure. It's a little sugary, but if that's what replaces, you know, something that had more, you know, refined sugar or something else, then it's a win. It is only when you're kind of like a year into clean eating that you might start to say like, you know, I'm not going to do bananas anymore. And guess what? You know, occasionally you might mix it back in, you know, there's potassium in there. And, you know, sometimes it, it gives you that little bump. Like I said, you know, when I'm making this smoothie, the few times I've put some banana in and it's like immediately like a more enjoyable smoothie. So it's like bananas are like the best thing. And everyone listening knows this. It's like the best thing that's ever happened to smoothies because it immediately makes it like the texture, the taste, like everything goes from like B minus to A plus <laughs> as soon as you put a banana in. But, you know, again, as you're kind of down the longevity bandwagon or you're on the longevity bandwagon, you start to worry about carbs or glycemic, you know, sugars and, and simple sugars and fructose, then you're, you're probably going to strip it. But um, occasionally, especially after a hard workout or before a hard workout, you know, if you're going to do super glycolytic stuff, like I just spoke about on Tuesday with Jay Campbell, um, Hey, it's not going to kill you. So anyways, moral of the story, consider pumpkin and, um, pureed baby food, pumpkin and, um, sweet potato as a smoothie ingredient. And, um, the other ingredient that's amazing is bone broth. And I am excited to be returning to the US pretty soon. And the first thing I'm going to do is go to Whole Foods and probably stock up on a million containers of bone broth or, you know, now that we kind of, you know, we're going to get resettled, I'll actually probably get a slow cooker. Who am I thinking? Who am I kidding? But um, Amelia just kind of like glared at me, but I'm getting a slow cooker because bone broth is just so incredibly important. And 
And, um, you know, I want to kind of get that glycine rich, uh, food into my diet, but anyways, I know I'm rambling, but, but bone broth is another amazing smoothie base. So what you do is you go to the whole foods or whatever, you get the frozen bone broth, or you can freeze the shelf stable stuff, pour it into ice cube trays and use that use beef. Don't use chicken. Don't use chicken in smoothies. It's just gross. Tastes nasty, but beef is, um, you don't even notice it, especially if you caved and put some banana in your smoothie or something. But anyways, I wanted to share that because I think pumpkin is an underrated smoothie ingredient. Um, anyways, and the other thing that kind of, uh, I guess, inspired this show today is the fact that uh, Kettlebell Kings, my good friends over there, um, are back in stock. And of course, this year is the year of like, you know, year and a half ago, I was the only guy in the front yard swinging kettlebells every day, but now everybody is. And that's fantastic. It excites me so much. Um, but you know, they're actually, you know, this year, I think there was probably, um, more kettlebell sales than the previous like 10 years combined. These guys at kettlebell Kings and other places just cannot keep these in stock. But one of the things that inspired this show is I went on kettlebell Kings just today and they've got, uh, they've got 14 kgs and 10 kgs in stock. They've got twenties, they've got 24s, they've got 32s. And they've got 48s in stock. So those are my favorite weights. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, uh, the 8s and the 12s and the 16s, which are probably the most common kettlebell weights ever, uh, you know, they're still out of stock. But it says that they're going to be back in stock shortly. In fact, by the time this show airs, head on over to Kettlebell Kings and you just may find a pleasant surprise there. And you can use code RUNGA actually at checkout and save 15% on Kettlebell Kings already amazing prices. It is insane. I've been buying kettlebells for a long time and these guys, they ship for free, uh, within like three to five business days. There's free returns. Like, I don't even know how you do that with kettlebells. Uh, they come with a lifetime warranty. They've got an amazing finish. It's just like buying kettlebells anywhere else almost doesn't make any sense. But anyways, that's for you to decide. Anyway, okay, so what I wanted to do is kind of run through a bit of a beginner's guide to buying kettlebells because this is probably if I had counted or, you know, as they say, if I had a nickel for every time I was asked this question on Instagram, I would probably have quit Instagram and I'd be like on the beach uh, retired <laughs> because I get this question like a ton and I usually send them the link to the article on my website. Um, which I kind of uh, am going to share the the highlights of with you today on here. But I'll, of course, over at CoachJodi.com, click podcast. This is episode 76, and I'm going to link to uh, kettlebells. Uh, I'll put the discount codes in. I'll link to the articles that I've got on my websites and any others that maybe I'll you know think of along this journey that we're all taking together. Um, and... Yeah, I guess that's it. Oh, I'm also going to link to uh, my favorite pieces of cardio equipment. And um, again, if I can strum up any discount codes in the coming days when I, after I record this show, um, I'll do that and drop them in the show notes over at coachjodi.com, episode 76. And hey, while you are there clicking things from the menu, check out the tribe as well. I am dropping a 30-day program into my tribe, uh, which is a online community um, where you know the first month is free and after that it's $29 a month 
And this gives you access to amazing people, kindred spirits, and tons of my content that I don't share publicly, things that I've only given to my private coaching clients, things that uh, Emilia has some videos up there that she's never shared. Uh, these are like full Kundalini classes, Kundalini yoga classes. Um, she's put up a ton of recipes. So this is a growing online community. And right now it's in its beta state. So the first like 30 or 40 people that go over there maybe this week will probably tap out um, our membership of this beta program. And then soon it'll be open to the public. So if you click tribe from coachjoe.com, coachjoe.com, and it's full or not letting you in, sit tight. It's going to be live real soon. But I highly recommend you guys check that out. And as I was saying, I am actually about to drop a 30-day program uh, for tribe members. And I am also getting very close. I recently wrote a program, and maybe he's listening. Uh, I wrote a 60-day program for a uh, Air Force um, person. And he is prepping for his annual physical fitness test, which is mid-January. So this was a 60-day program to uh, increase fitness so that he could run the mile and a half in, you know, as fast as he possibly can, but absolutely positively under 12 minutes. I think uh, we're going to probably aim to get him between 10 and 11 is my goal. And then uh, he also needs to do over 50 push-ups in one minute and over 50 sit-ups in one minute, which is a, um, which is tough. And, uh, it's also, you know, he's got some previous injuries. And so this program I wrote for him is a 60 day program and, uh, it is designed to use kettlebells and basically, uh, increase his fitness dramatically in 60 days with minimal risk for injury. And I'm actually going to make this available to tribe members as well for free. So anyways, if that helps your decision to head on over to coachjodi.com, uh, click the tribe again, it's free for 30 days. So what do you got to lose? Um, anyway, okay, let us kind of dive in here. Now I want to start with this beginner's guide to kettlebells. Then I want to dive into cardio equipment because I think both of these things are really important when it comes to like a home gym kettlebells should be the first thing you buy. Um, and then it's kind of a toss up, whether you go with a, a pull up bar or a cardio, uh, piece of cardio, uh, for your next, um, thing. And obviously, of course, depending on budget, if your if your cardio is a jump rope, then you're probably going to go with that next. And if your cardio is a, you know, $5,000 treadmill, then you might go with the pull up bar next and go with an Amazon doorway pull up bar if you have to. But, uh, the three big things when it comes to a home gym, kettlebells, pull-up bar. And by the way, the pull-up bar is you could hang rings or a TRX strap. Uh, you know, you can do whatever. Um, I love that. And then the, the, the kind of big kind of, um, big pieces, the cardio, and that's all you really need, uh, to get an incredible workout and to never be bored and to just crush it. So the most important piece with kettlebells is, you know, and I've talked a lot on the fact that, you know, nowadays we've got, like I said, the, the eights are sold out, but the tens are in and the twelves. And obviously I've got much love for kettlebell Kings, but I want you guys to kind of look at, 
uh, kettlebells as you really don't need like 50 kettlebells. And that's probably the number that I have. So call me a hypocrite, but, uh, for the person that wants to make their home gym, like really fantastic, you really only need three, four, five max kettlebells, um, to, to really have just limitless options and incredible workouts that get you both healthy and fit, uh, and sweaty and sore. Um, and so don't look at buying two or three kettlebells as, um, as being limiting in any way. That's probably the number one thing. You're only limited by your creativity and your awareness of the role that these amazing teachers play in our fitness existence. So, um, now when, when someone's new to kettlebells and I talked a ton about this, on episodes, I think it was 37 and 38, which I'll link to in the show notes just in case I'm off by one or two weeks. Um, but when someone's new to kettlebells, they, they should begin their journey with some foundational exercises. These are exercises that, uh, you know, my friend Dan John says, knit the body together, which um, I, I don't want to replay those episodes on this week's show. So go back and listen to those. But essentially, you need to prepare your mind and your body for the demands of more intense training and specifically exercises like the swing. Now, the swing might be the best thing to happen to human fitness ever. Because if you do the math, and I am not a mathematician, but that's what people like Stu McGill are for, uh, these incredible, brilliant people that are putting kettlebellers onto you know, force plates and measuring the ground reaction force of a swing. But, but here's the deal, and I've said this before, when I deadlifted the other day, I worked myself up to 275 pounds, and I did three sets of three at that weight. Now, I'm not a super tall guy for those that know me, and I'm, not all, I'm also not very good at math, like I just said. So, But let's just pretend for a second. So I address a bar that's, and you know what, let's just pretend I use 300 pounds because it'll make my life like a lot easier, and I don't know where this is going to go, and I hope I don't make a fool out of myself for being bad at math. But let's just say that my deadlift is 300 pounds. And this 300-pound barbell moves um, two feet when I do a deadlift. And that's from my mid-shin up to my thighs, um, you know, and that's call that two feet. And I do it three times. Well, that's 300 pounds moving two feet three times. So it's 300 pounds moving six feet. And I imagine that's something like 1,800 work pounds. And, and again, my math might suck, but you guys get the idea. Um, now if I envision, uh, swinging a 50 pound kettlebell, now a kettlebell is going to swing. If you're swinging Russian style, um, I, my guess is it's going to swing about six feet. I think the moment arm or the distance traveled per rep is probably three times as long because it's going from behind my legs to my chest height right? So a 50 pound weight, right, is only a fraction. It's only about, you know, call it 20% of the weight of the deadlift, but it's moving three times as far. And guess what? I'm going to be able to do 10 reps. I'm going to do 20 reps. I'm going to do, gosh, I wrote a workout the other day where you do 
uh, you do 10 and then you do 20 and then you do 30 and then you do 40 and then you do 50 and you keep going as high as you can before you can't string together that many reps in a single set. And most people don't make it to 50, but some do. I had uh, a couple of coaching clients that ended up working their way up to almost 100 and there's a three or four minute rest between each set. So um, you get the idea. Now, if you imagine someone doing a set of 30, and this is a very advanced kettlebeller for the record, uh, 30 reps where it's six feet of travel distance at a weight of 50 pounds, the amount of work you're doing is far greater than a 300 pound deadlift is my point. So this means that your body has to be very, very, very strong to withstand that sort of performance, to withstand that sort of good stress. So the body really needs to be knit together. And we do that with with episodes. We do that with exercises like carries, get-ups, and goblet squats. These are exercises. And if you saw my recent Instagram post where I wrote, uh, make kettlebells heavy again, and there was a couple of people like, this is the worst advice I've ever seen, uh, you know, because I was making a case for heavy kettlebells. But these exercises are uh, exercises that sure can and should be done with a light bell. And, and the get up, if you've seen my videos on YouTube, which I'll link to in the show notes, the get-up should be done with no weight. I love balancing like a cup of water on your fist for the get-up just to ensure you have the movement right. Uh, you could also balance a sneaker or, or anything else. But after a few weeks of base building with a light bell, most are going to be knit together well enough to graduate to the swing. Now, the swing, as I've said multiple times and as, and as was the uh, kind of um, motivation for that Instagram post and several others like it, the swing actually requires a heavy bell to be performed correctly. And when I say this, people lose their minds. They're like, what the hell? What are you talking about? Like, I need to use a light belt to be safe. And the truth is, safe doesn't mean good. So if you, uh, if you just stay with me here and, and let, hear me out. Swinging a light bell is an oxymoron because when you think about what I just described of the deadlift and the kettlebell and the 50 pound weight and, and everything else, the power generated at the hip to drive a kettlebell into the air, uh, is one of incredible force. Our hips are our biggest, strongest muscles. They are the most powerful muscles in the entire body. In fact, most people uh, with tight hip flexors, you know, I could make the argument that their hip flexors are tight. Yeah, sure, they sit too much, etc. But they're also too weak for the body to feel confident in giving them the right to use the strength in their hips. So in other words, if your brain and mind, body, and spirit know that your low back is weak and your core is weak, it's not going to give you max power output at the hip. It's going to tighten those hip flexors down and inhibit some of that glute extension so that it can regulate and govern how much power you are given. And that is because it's trying to keep you safe and injury free. And that is until there's an emergency and you, you know, uh, you know, a, this is just morbid, but it's just the best example. 
you know, a cyclist gets hit by a car and then all of a sudden that desk jockey that can't deadlift 135 pounds goes over and picks up the front end of the car and pulls the biker out, right? This is why, because all of a sudden the hormonal cascade and the stimuli was such that the body said, this is worth getting hurt for. And all of a sudden we have this incredible amounts of amount of strength. So why swinging a light belt bell is an oxymoron is because, uh, all things being equal, and once the body's knit together, uh, the power generated at the hip is going to be so great that the bell needs to be heavy enough to equalize it, right? If you're producing 10 times more force at the hip than is required to move your kettlebell because it's too light, you're going to disrupt the benefit of the exercise. You're going to cut the benefits of the exercise by a hundred percent protect potentially you could potentially develop and you could potentially develop extremely terrible habits because if you generate and i'm just throwing round numbers out if you generate 250 pounds of force which if you imagine you weigh 130 pounds and you jump 12 inches into the air or you jump a you know x centimeters if you're in europe or wherever else listening if you're 130 pounds or 50 kilos whatever you want to use and you jump a certain distance into the air well the fact that you left the ground means you created more force and the higher you jump the more force you generated at the ground and i'll tell you what it was probably two to three to four to five to six times your body weight so if you generate enough force to lift your body off the ground, you're generating hundreds of pounds of foot of foot pounds of force. And if you're trying to put all that force into a 12 kilo or a 24 pound bell, what's going to happen? Well, if your coach told you that a kettlebell swing ends overhead, then great. If your coach said it ends at the shoulders, like I tell people in a hard style swing, now it's a game to slow down the kettlebell and keep your form appearing to be good and, quote, safe at the expense of your technique and your long-term progress because you're going to have to activate the shoulders in an effort to slow down the kettlebell in order to fit into the box of what your coach or what you decided is proper form. When if you just used a heavy bell, then the natural movement of the bell, no shoulder activation required, the bell is only going to move as far as the force you generate at the hip. So the reason a Russian kettlebell swing ends at the shoulders is because you're using a weight that's heavy enough that that is the peak of the distance traveled. Then you're also projecting the bell in a horizontal plane, not a vertical one. All right. So so hopefully this kind of picture makes sense and and you see why I say safe doesn't mean good because I've seen a lot of people swing kettlebells both in person and online where the angles at the shin look good, the angles at the hip looks good, the angle at the shoulder looks good, but I've seen enough kettlebell swings to know that that shoulder is way more active than it should be and that kettlebell is way too light and you can start to see things like the kettlebell beginning to lift before the hip reaches extension. Well, if the hip doesn't reach extension then what's moving the bell your shoulders what should be moving the bell only hip power your arms are ropes now along your journey you know you kind of knit your body together with exercises like carries get-ups and goblet squats and again you can go back and listen to episode 37 ish uh, for the deep dive i took it was a two-part show 
on these exercises, uh, and then you kind of graduate to the swings. Well, along the journey, uh, exercises, knit together exercises like renegade rows will begin to kind of trickle in, which are an amazing exercise. Uh, you could do double kettlebell swings, which I really like. Uh, and then you can start doing things like presses uh, and alternating shoulder presses with light bells to supplement a broader program uh, of, of, you know, to supplement your current program of carries, get-ups, gobble squats, and swings. Now, um, the last thing too, okay, so um, once you're kind of along the way and then the snatch is kind of the last thing you learn, but again, go back to listen to episode 37 and 38 for a deep dive into all that. Now, the sample journey I just described is very typical and highly recommended. In fact, even experienced fitness uh, enthusiasts should probably go back in time and occasionally go back and do a knit together program because sometimes we develop bad habits or, you know, sit too much or whatever. And we need that knitting of the core and a reminder of where baseline is. And, um, I also, uh, Dr. Perry Nicholson, who was a former podcast guest, I'll link to his show in the show notes, which was one of the most downloaded shows of recent memory, uh, because it was all about reducing pain and improving body function. And just before the show, I did his whole series, the series we talk about on that episode. Um, but, uh, when we, when we kind of get into this, the sternum plays a huge role and, um, you know, as you're kind of into kettlebells, remember he posted on Instagram the other day, the sternum is kind of like your body's like, you know, call it like your steering wheel, call it your compass. And a lot of us get a lot of kind of junk around the sternum. So this is kind of unrelated and out of scope of this show, but, but before you start doing kettlebell training, listen to that show, do some of the, some of the lymphatic mojo we discuss and give your sternum a little bit of a massage, kind of work some of that out. Uh, because I think that's just going to help you with rib position and that's going to become relevant to some of the conversation I'll get to later in the show. Now let's get to choosing the right weights. Now, this is what I call standard weights. And if you've seen programs I've written, I'll write a lot. I'll write like, you know, 10 reps at standard weight or 10 reps at, you know, two times standard weight. And these weight classes are essentially um, men above or below 175 pounds um, and women above or below 130 pounds. Okay. So there's four weight classes in the school of Joe. And I think that the journey that I kind of just outlined, um, in the previous 20 minutes or so, it needs two light bells that are the same weight and one heavyish bell to graduate to with swings and things. Okay. So I think just about everybody listening, if you are starting a home gym, you need two light bells of the same weight to do things like carries and uh, begin to do alternating presses and add some variety and things like that. And then you need the heavy bell to swing, okay? Um, and we'll get to more diversity and, and things to add later. But the beginner's kettlebell, the beginner kettlebell set, in my opinion, is two light bells that are the same weight and one heavyish bell. And my weight classes, uh, I'm gonna start with the ladies. So women under 130 pounds, I believe, you guys predominantly. And of course there are always well-conditioned and, and, you know, uniquely strong women and men and athletes that may fall into the lower weight class, but you know, 
they may benefit more from opting for the higher weight class loads. And, you know, I think it was Pavel, you know, I think Pavel had weight classes like these and they're probably awfully similar, but it's been a long time since I've seen his, but he, um, he had one where he, he called it men and strong men. Those were his two categories that he said, if you're wondering if you are a strong man, you're not. <laughs> so if you know, you know, right? So if you're a, a lady listening to this and, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been training for a decade. I'm a professional athlete. I'm, you know, I know what I'm doing. I can deadlift more than most guys. I know, you know, you know that you need to upgrade to the higher weight class. But um, generally speaking, if I had to make recommendations for everybody on the planet at once, these would be my four weight classes. And um, hopefully you get some comic relief from my Pavel impression. Anyway, women under 130 pounds, one 16 kilo bell for your swings and things, and two eight kilo bells. Uh, this is the kind of beginner set, right? And so, uh, you can do all sorts of amazing things with these types of weights and they're going to last you forever because you have, uh, just limitless things you can do with those weights. Women over 130 pounds, you're going to take the 16 up to 18 and you're going to take the eight up to 10. So you've got one 18 kg bell and two 10 kg bells. All right. And that is kind of your beginner's set. Um, and of course, ladies over 130 pounds or ladies that are super strong, you could always use the, uh, men under 175 pound weight if you wanted to, and you're ready and you're seasoned and you've got some, you know, training under your belt, men under 175 pounds, you begin with one 20 kg bell and two 12 kg bells. And men over 175 pounds, you begin with one 24 kilo bell and two 14 or 16 kilo bells. I've found that uh, some guys, uh, they're great at swinging and they've got the, the sort of body mass, but sometimes they don't have the core um, to do, you know, renegade rows with 16. So I've seen a lot of guys begin, you know, 180 pound guys begin with two 14s and a 24. And so, and that could also be due to, you know, strong hips or whatever, but really dysfunctional shoulders. And we want to do overhead carries and things. And if 16s are just too much, then start with 14. So that's, that's going to be on you guys use your best judgment. Now, naturally, uh, after a person has been training for a few months and, you know, these initial three kettlebells, maybe they're ready to add something new to the arsenal. Now, this is going to depend on your goals because you probably have a desire for a specific outcome, and that should dictate what direction you take your next kettlebell purchase. So uh, if you want to improve your strength, you're probably going to make a different decision than if you're looking to do more sort of like fitness based training, like, you know, you see on Instagram with people like, you know, uh, putting kettlebells under their legs and, you know, doing all sorts of different wacky presses and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. It's, you know, probably incredible entertainment makes you feel really accomplished. But my point is you're going to need lighter bells to do that kind of training and heavier bells if your goals are strength related. So let us take a journey. Um, my personal belief, I love strength with kettlebells. 
and if uh, if I had to make the next decision. And there was no budget constraints because um, I absolutely love super heavy bells. My favorite kettlebell is my 48 kilo kettlebell. And I don't even remember what it cost me, but it's kind of a lot. Actually, I still have the Kettlebell Kings website up. So let's see here. Prior to discounts, um, I don't even know why I'm doing this, to be honest, but I always go powder coat. Oh, you know what? My internet's not even on. Okay. So anyway, we always turn the internet. This is free, free uh, Intel. We always, if we're not on the internet, so I have ethernet. So I plug my computer in whenever possible. But anytime we have to use Wi-Fi in our house, we, um, we put it on, we do our thing, we turn it off because it's not healthy for baby. Uh, free little nugget there if you have little ones. And by the way, it's not healthy for anyone. Please, for everybody listening, unplug your routers at night, put them on an outlet timer, do whatever you got to do. But just bathing in Wi-Fi, sleeping just you know a couple of meters from your router is not doing anybody's health any good. Okay. So, okay. Option one, we're going to call it. We want to get even stronger. We've been training for a couple of months and let's just say you're me. I'm 160 pounds, depending, you know, we'll call me 160 pounds. I, I have about a five pound, um, swing depending on how hard I'm training and how much cheese I'm eating. <laughs> because Hard cheese, like really good, like raw, raw, hard cheese, or sometimes I get the the cheddar from um, organic pastures uh, when we're in the States. Well, anyways, that is like my go-to. Raw kefir and that cheese are my like go-to weight gain, you know, foods. And then when I want to live a long time and I want to lose maybe a couple of pounds or I want to just like get like whatever healthier and I'm going to start fasting more and I just cut the dairy. And then when I want to get big again and I want to get back up to, you know, for me, like 165 pounds, like I just pack on the dairy and all of a sudden I get there and I train hard and blah, blah, blah. So let us say that we want to get stronger. That is our ambition. We've been training. You're me. And I chose to use the 175 pound plus uh, recommendation. So I have been swinging a 24 kilo bell and I've got two 16s for my supplemental work. Uh, and I want to get even stronger. What am I going to do? Well, I could add, uh, another heavy bell. I could add another 24 if I wanted to start doing dead swings or double kettlebell swings with two 24s. That's always amazing. Um, but chances are, if I want to get strong and I'm a man over 175 pounds or I'm strong, even if I'm under 175 pounds, I'm probably going to add a 32 kilo bell. And that's going to quickly take your swings to the next level. You're jumping from 53 pounds to 72 pounds. Um, and given the swing is probably the single most beneficial exercise in kettlebell training uh, and perhaps all of fitness, uh, going heavier makes a lot of sense to me. Um you can always, uh, you know, make this change and go even heavier as well. So I've spoken on countless podcasts about how much I love my 48 kilo bell. And I just said it five minutes ago. Uh, it's a bit of a pricey investment, but not because there's not ROI, but most people are so fixated on value. Um, and how much can I get out of it? If you buy a 48 kilo bell, look, that is almost exclusively for deadlifts and swings, which are basically the same thing. Just the speed is different, right? Um, so if you're okay making a pretty big investment uh, for a piece of equipment that you're really only going to do one thing with, 
go even heavier than 32 if you want, because from my personal experience and from the other people that I've coached, swinging a heavy bell, like my 106 pound bell, which is 48 kilos, you know, 10 times, sometimes I go even more, but swinging it 10 times, like two sets of five that I put a lot into, or, you know, maybe it's five sets of five once in a while, once or twice a week, uh, before my other training, builds enormous and unparalleled strength and durability amidst a training program that's already demanding, you know, something like five, six, seven, eight hundred swings per week with the 24 kilo bell or whatever your heavy bell is uh, from your starter kit. So a really heavy kettlebell is a good investment. And generally it's uh, one and a half to two times your standard weight. Um, so again, if you're new to bells and you just want to go heavier and you want to get some, you know, you want to feel really good, you know, go to a 32, or if you're, you know, a guy under 175 pounds, you know, get another 24 and, and try to work on some things there. If you're a woman under 130 pounds, get a 20 kg. If you're a woman over 130 pounds or a really strong woman, get a 22, or you could even trickle up to a 24 if you want to. But if you want to get strong and take your starter kit, whatever you want to call it to the next level get a heavier bell. Now, the other option would be to add another standard weight bell. Um, so whatever your standard weight was, so 20 kg, 24, uh, 16, or 18. Uh, this is a great way to go if you are interested in incorporating more double bell work. So if you want to get into double bell swings, if you want to get in double bell cleans, if you want to get into really heavy carries that aren't asymmetrically loaded um, or start doing like some of my favorite supplemental exercises like alternating suitcase deadlifts, which I've found are just amazing. The the pairing of the alternating suitcase deadlift with the Turkish getup. So you, if you're a, you know, we'll say a woman under 130 pounds and um, your bell, your heavier bell is 16 kilos. You're going to add, if you want to get some strength benefits, but also kind of optimize with the fitness benefits, get another standard weight bell, which is a 16 kilo for a woman under 130 pounds. Uh, and then what you're going to do is grab one of your eights and you're going to grab now your two 16s. You're going to do an alternating suitcase deadlift with your two 16 kilo bells. And in between sets, you're going to go do dead, uh, excuse me, get the uh, get ups with your eight kilo bell. And I will link in the show notes to videos to these exercises over at coachjodi.com. This is episode 76 for those that maybe missed the start of the show. Um, the other thing you can add when you start doing this are double kettlebell front squats, which are probably one of the biggest anterior core and strength exercises ever. Uh, you know, when you think about it, you've got two kettlebells kind of at your chest height and rack position. You're going deep into that squat and you're pulling yourself out of it, you know, keeping those, that posture upright, that chest tall and those kettlebells in place is second to none when it comes to a core training strength exercise. Um, option C, uh, the third option or option three would be to take your, again, your kettlebell training into that sort of fitness world that I talked about, um, which would be like add one or two light or medium-ish bells um, if you want kind of limitless variety in your training. So for a guy, you know, maybe you add a 16. Uh, so again, maybe you started with a, a, a 
12, two 12s and a 20. Now add a 16. So you've kind of got that gap filled. You know, ladies, maybe you started with, you know, uh, you know, a, um, what the heck was it? Uh, 16 and two eights. Well, hey, what if we add a 12? You know, or what if we add a 14 if you started with 10s and 18s? So uh, find that, you know, add one or two light to medium kettlebells that kind of fill in any gaps. Uh, and this is going to allow you to uh, start improving your get-ups more. This will allow you to begin to practice exercises like the snatch, which were probably far too easy with your light bell, but too hard with your heavy or standard weight bell. Um, a light bell is probably two to four kilos lighter um, than your uh, standard weight. And a medium bell is probably um, two to four kilos heavier than your light bells. So uh, this is, again, great for the fitness enthusiast as it adds for basically limitless supplemental variety. Um, and again, things like double bell swings, renegade rows, shoulder presses, lunges, box step ups, you know, the world is your oyster. Uh, so for somebody that's used to like a really, you know, kind of like commercial gym where they've got every kettlebell weight, you know, this is probably the way to go. Uh, all right, cool. Let's move on to cardio. And again, you know, the big three of any home gym, kettlebells, pull up bar, cardio, and again, you can always hang something from your pull-up bar like rings to add like limitless variety. Uh, the only other thing I'd probably add to a home gym eventually is a plyo box. And the plyo box is for things like step-ups. It's also, once you've got rings, this is one of my favorite things to do at home. I've got this like um, outdoor pull-up rig and I've got a uh, plyo box there. And the plyo box isn't for box jumps. It's because when I do push-ups, I elevate my feet on it. I also do a lot of like, you know, planks with the rings and my feet elevated on a plyo box, which makes it way harder because your body isn't angled. In fact, your, your feet are in line with your shoulders and then your hands are kind of really low. So anyways, if you're looking for home gym advice beyond what I'm talking about. That's what it is. Now let's move on to a, what I call a killer cardio solution. Now the most budget friendly cardio solution is a jump rope, but little secret here, you know, in, um, my experience and it's reminiscent of my podcast with Eric Cressy. And if you've got shoulder issues, go listen to that one. Um, I will link to it in the show notes, coachjodi.com. This is episode 76. Eric Cressy was, you know, four or five, six episodes ago. We dove deep. The episode is called everything you need to know about shoulder training or shoulder health or not hurting your shoulders, something like that. Um, but it was funny because he and I have similar histories in that we've both torn both our shoulders, dislocated, torn. We both know that our shoulders are highly abnormal, but we're not going to get an MRI and consider surgery or anything else because we're performing at a high level. But what he says is like, dude, you know, I know I've got a full thickness tear in my shoulder and I can do everything except back squats. Well, 
my shoulders are very similar. And I use, if I haven't done a back squat in a while, if I'm going to be honest with the barbell, but um, I am excited to kind of get in when I get home and settled. I'm still in Europe. I've been here for eight and a half months with the fam. We're heading back to the US soon. So stay tuned. Follow me on Instagram. There's going to be a lot of really cool stuff at Coach Jody I. Uh, a lot of cool stuff coming down the hatch as I basically create my first garage gym because we are leaving California. And my gym is no longer going to be permanently outside. But anyway, that is for Instagram, not this podcast. But anyway, my shoulders, again, are super screwed up, <laughs> but I don't let that stop me. Um, but the one thing I really can't do, no matter what, is jump rope. And it's simply because of some of the damage in my shoulders. Uh, it is the external rotation at the hand. Um, it's just something that no matter what I do, I just can't jump rope. So it just every time winds me up and creates a problem that I have to fix and take time off. And I'm just like, you know what? I just don't do jump ropes. That's it. You know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm uh, not competing in the sport of fitness. I'm, uh, I've got nothing to prove. And I, I do appreciate that jump ropes are the most economical cardio solution. And I bought one during quarantine because I was desperate, but again, it kind of wound me up the same way. And so I can live a very productive life and, um, I just don't do it. But anyways, if you need a killer cardio solution and you don't have torn rotator cuffs and labrums and separated AC joints, like Eric and I do go with a jump rope for starters. I mean, that's a terrific solution. And, you know, I'll link in the show notes to some of my favorite jump ropes because I have owned them for years and years and years. In fact, one of my good friends at his wedding, he got all his groomsmen, a, a custom jump rope and it's got my name on it. So it's really cool. Anyways, sorry, long winded. This show is way longer than I was expecting it to be, but let's keep going here. So you need a killer cardio solution. You need something to get your heart rate up. And so a jump rope's the most economical here in Europe. I was not prepared to buy a uh, fan bike or anything like that because we didn't know how long we were going to be here. And now that the gym's back open, I go three or four times a week and I go get my heart rate to the ceiling and then I come home. But when I was in quarantine and for a long time, I had a 20 kg bell. That was it. And at some point I needed a little variety and I literally walked into the grocery store and they had a pile of Bulgarian bags. And I was like, that's a little weird, but you know, I'm going to buy one. So that's another tremendous kind of easy way to get your heart rate up, get like a 10 kilo, uh, you know, and you can obviously go lighter or heavier depending on, you know, your standard weights. But I bought a 12 kilo, I think it is, a Bulgarian bag. And man, like I swing this thing over my head, like, you know, like I'm swinging a lasso, but obviously with two hands. I go like 10 each way, then 10 push ups, 10, 10 each way, 10 push ups. You do like five or six rounds of that. That was a workout um, uh, that, um, what's his name, gave me the kettlebell guy. Oh, gosh, name's escaping me. Sorry, sorry, pal. Um, Anyways, the Bulgarian bag is another like lower cost. This cost me 50 euros and it's been like my like non kettlebell heart rate exercise. Um, so there are things you can do outside of what I would call a killer cardio solution, which are basically fan bikes, rowers and skis, skiers. Now, before you dive into a um, big commitment, you know, cardio solution, I highly recommend looking on Craigslist. 
because, you know, you're going to drop a thousand bucks probably on a decent cardio solution or, you know, somewhere close to it. Whereas you can find a 20 year old AD4 Schwinn Airdyne in decent shape occasionally on Craigslist for anywhere between 150 and 250 bucks. And I've done this in multiple cities across the United States. Um, there's always, you know, no offense, but like, you know, an older adult that bought it in 1989 and never used it. And, you know, now it's still in perfect shape. I, gosh, I got so lucky when we moved to LA, I went on Craigslist, like the first day, it was this amazing gem of a fan bike that literally hadn't been used in 20 years. Perfect condition. Then I left it outside and used it every day for three years and it's pretty beat up now. But anyways, I bought that thing for 200 bucks and it lasted me, you know, it would, it's still my, one of my coaching clients has it now and she uses it all the time. So do that. But, uh, there are people that are wise to people like us and they try to charge more than their bike is worth. And so as soon as you're like talking to somebody that wants to sell you a 20 year old fan bike for two over 250 bucks, that's kind of my limit. You're better off buying an assault bike. That's 600. That's brand new and will literally last forever. So, uh, but if you're, yeah, anyways, that's that. If you're cool with spending more than 600, I'd probably go with, a you know, Airdyne pro or one of the more sort of, um, you know, bigger, bulkier fan bikes, um, or something like a concept Two skier and, a, or a concept Two rower, which I'm going to dive into kind of the pros and cons of each of these machines. Now, fan bike, I am probably most known for being the fan bike guy. I've been obsessed with these things because, well, you know, when I was training for an ultra, it was an amazing cross training for runners because it's still hitting that contralateral movement. There's no impact whatsoever. Uh, you can easily hop on and off of it. I had one in my house, one in my office, uh, and you can hop on, you can have a phone call and be pedaling at a low intensity, uh, with your headphones in and, and no one's even going to know you're on the bike. Um, you know, and on that note, like recovery days, I don't do this, but you could easily watch TV and just pedal away for an hour. Um, you can even like, you know, you can kind of like, depending on what bike you have, like, you could be on that thing and still listening out for the kids and, you know, is the kid waking up or whatever. So there's like a lot of pros to the bike. The big con of the fan bike is that it is in a seated position. So if you're kind of the kind of person that's like trying to exercise to combat the problems of sitting and you're going to be doing like prolonged, you know, aerobic sessions, you know, maybe it's not the best choice if you're going to be sitting in the same position you've been in all day. The other uh, cons of the bike are probably space and weight. So, you know, no matter what fan bike you buy, it's kind of like where it's going to be. And um, especially if you get one of the more robust ones, and I'll link in the show notes to, to some of my favorite fan bikes. Um, and some people call them air bikes. Come, some people call them flywheel bikes. Some people call them whatever. I call them fan bikes because it's a big fan. And secretly, I've always wanted to make a blender out of my fan bike. I've always wanted to have like, you know, like a, some kind of like sprocket and like some kind of like thing coming out of the gear that's like blending a like fatty coffee for me. It's like blending my strong coffee while I'm pedaling. I've always wanted to do that. I'm going to talk to Adam Von Rothfelder and see if he's going to, if he, he'll, he'll do that with me, make some kind of like thing. They'll sell it on like Rogue Fitness. It'll be like the, the strong coffee blender stirrer 
fan bike, add-on. Anyway, sorry, losing. I didn't have coffee today for those wondering. Okay, cons of the bike, weight, space, and the fact that you're sitting. Those are really the only cons, you know, to be honest, I've fell in, I've fallen in love with these things over and over and over again. Uh, I think they're most known for like really short, really high intense exercise, but I was, you know, like speaking of Eric Cressy, uh, when I was his client, you know, 10 years ago, I remember going in and I did 30, 30 for 30 on the fan bike. And, you know, he's got professional athletes in there and, you know, they're baseball players and he talks about this on the show, but you know, they're using that thing predominantly for conditioning. They're going all out for 10 minutes. And I did this 30, 30 for 30 thing and like multiple people witnessed me and witnessed me doing this. And when I got off, they were like, that was literally the longest we've ever seen any single person sit on that bike for. Um, so anyways, know that you can do aerobic as well as high intensity stuff on those things. Now let's move on to the rower. Now I want to start with some of the pros of the rower, and then I'll go to the cons. The pros of the rower is that there's really no impact or ground reaction force, just like the bike. Um, you know, the thing, just like the bike easily skyrockets your heart rate. Uh, you know, it gives you an intense workout, but it's also good for base building. You can strengthen the postural muscles that are often weak with rowing if done correctly, which is um, an important asterisk, but, um, you know, we're kind of hunched over. And if you're rowing correctly, you're actually repeatedly pulling yourself out of that crunched posture that we're in all day at our desk. Uh, if you do have previous injury or low back stuff going on, first of all, go listen to the episode with Stu McGill and the forthcoming second episode with Stu McGill that'll be live in a couple of weeks. Um, but if you've got low back stuff going on, low back people hate the rower. And I think they've had, uh, you know, they have, you know, if they're doing a lot of stuff, if they're going short and intense, that's risky because you're ripping really fast. And if you're doing the long, slow stuff, like a five or 10 K on the rower, you're just going to get super stiff. So if you've got low back stuff, it can be your friend. If you're okay with going like low and slow and really starting slow and building over time in terms of both intensity and duration, you can get away with it. But I've had a lot of low back people and, and generally stressed clients that maybe have like a lot of upper trap tightness. I've seen a lot of people develop some, some negative stuff on the rower when they come in with those conditions because they rip really hard and they exacerbate some of the upper trap dominance and maybe they get some jaw tightness or they pinch a nerve in their neck. I've seen that a few times. So if you've been sitting at a desk, you know, the rower is just not something to kind of like jump in and just start going all out on or jump in and doing a, a 5k on. And this is not the rower's fault. It's just the pre-existing conditions that we're bringing into the rower uh, can kind of become a con for it. Now, the other kind of pro of the rower, and by the way, that was what I'm considering a, a pro because it can strengthen the postural muscles that are often weak, but there's just so many asterisks with that one because the body you're bringing into the rower is the most important thing. Um, any other thing too, on like a recovery day, you can easily like watch a movie while you're rowing or, or, uh, you know, watch your kids or, you know, whatever. It's, it's a pretty easy thing. Um, and it also folds up. So if you have a concept two rower as an example, there's also an assault rower. Now, um, the assault rower I'm excited about because I think it's like a, a more commercial version of a concept two, but the concept too, like breaks in half. It just like comes apart. You can put it in a closet and it's gone, uh, which I really like as opposed to like, you know, Amelia, I used to literally have a, 
uh, fan bike in our living room. And, you know, she got some use out of it. So that was cool. But when we upgraded our house, our first house, when we moved to LA was like kind of a piece of junk. (laughs) And so she didn't like have as much like pride of ownership over it. So she kind of like, let me get away with it for a while. But then when we moved into a nicer house, she was like, yeah, you're basically, I called it my room. It was like outside. It was my gym. It looks like, you know, if you've seen pictures, it looks like Hawaii. It was beautiful, but I had like the fan bike was just permanently outside from that point on. So anyways, little of my home life for you guys, but let's go to uh, the cons of the rower. And again, the biggest con is probably that it's pretty low back dominant. So if you got pre-existing low back stuff or stiffness or neck tightness or upper trap dominance, it can be a, a, a negative. It's also again, in a seated, seated, it's also in a seated position. So if you've been sitting all day, you know, we can get some good strength in that upper body, but if your hips and, and just that sedentary sort of pelvic position is the problem or the source of your problems, rowing may not be it. Um, feet are strapped in vertically. Now this is a little known fact, but I, when I was a kid, I was extremely pigeon toed and my hips were, were sort of like, you know, um, they didn't have a lot of integrity and my legs were just really, really, really internally rotated. And still today, you know, maybe I'll share at some point, but I can like turn my feet all the way in on themselves and put like my pinky toes like together and my feet are all the way turned in. Well, for me, this means I have a lot of sort of external rotation liability in my hips. It takes a lot of work to keep them kind of open sort of, I don't want to like dramatize myself, (laughs) but, um, one thing I've noticed with that kind of condition, I've got that predisposition to, um, like TFL tightness and external rotator weakness. Um, and so when I'm on the rower and it keeps my feet strapped in perfectly vertical, I actually need some play there, uh, because of that sort of hip laxity and that hip stuff. So I'll actually wind up my external rotators and my TFL when I'm on the rower quite a bit, just cause my feet are strapped so vertically without a lot of play or give. Um, so something to think about there, um, not just for pigeon toed big kids, but, uh, for anybody with that sort of problem where they get tight in their hips. Um, that's also the area, by the way, that pregnant women, when they start to, uh, in like the second trimester, when they start to kind of put on a little bit more weight with baby and it's kind of front and center, they get a lot of that sort of like radiating tension from the, from the external rotators into the TFLs, uh, as they try to stabilize this new weight. Anyway. Uh, the other thing with the rower is like, it's very compact body position. So it's basically like fetal position out of it. And again, if your technique isn't spot on that compact body position can kind of rehearse some negatives. Um, it's also a little slower to hop on and off from. So I'm going to talk about the skier in a minute. And I love the skier because I, you know, I'll do like kettlebell swings and I'll jump right on the ski, right back to kettlebell swings. And there's no like strapping your feet in and like doing all this other stuff. You just kind of like grab it and go. The rower is probably the slowest of the three. So the bike, the rower and the ski, the, the rower is probably the slowest getting in and out of. So not a huge deal for most people, but if you're like competing in the sport of fitness or that really matters to you, you know, you might want to consider one of the other um, options. 
another problem with the rower is that it's extremely sagittal. So this can kind of tend to play into people's strengths and kind of exacerbate their weaknesses if they already don't have enough diversity in their movement. Um, again, that show with Eric Cressy, I'd highly recommend listening to. We talk about the fascial system and how it needs a lot of multi-planar movement. And since that show, I've brought back a lot of med ball training, which maybe I'll do a show on at some point. But med balls kind of allow us to do a lot of like multi-planar stuff where we're throwing a ball against the wall, using our hips in a really athletic manner, uh, you know, using our body, our eyes, our movement, our head swivels. But the rower, it's just like, it's like sitting at your desk, right? So you're basically in this compact position. You're extremely sagittal. You're not getting much like contralateral stuff like the fan bike as an example. Um, and you're all kind of strapped in. So it can really play into some existing strengths. Imagine you do like push-ups, deadlifts, and rowing. It's this like sagittalitis um, that can really kind of, it's not great for the fascial system in other words. But if you jumped off the rower and did like a multi-planar med ball throw or, you know, um, something else like a, maybe bent presses or, you know, get ups or something, you can kind of like deal with it, but it's great for heart rate, but that's probably another cone, uh, con, um, the other problem I have with the rower, um, there's a little bit of a learning curve. So most people like leg press it too much. They, um, they kind of like you, in other words, like from a technique standpoint, and there's a million videos on this that, that I'll find a really good one and link in the show notes to coachjodi.com. This is episode 76. Um, if you want to find the videos that I like for rowing technique, but the, the knees may never bend more than 90 degrees if you're rowing properly. And there's a lot of people that like they leg press it and you hear like their butt hit the back of their heels and they're in this like accordion position that should really never happen. So think of starting like real quick with the flywheel, like as close to the, or excuse me, the handle as close to the flywheel as possible. Um, and then kind of like extending your legs, getting tall in your chest and then pulling that thing in and now pause at the kind of end range. Now, when you're going back in on the rower and obviously a video pictures is a thousand words, a video says 10,000. Um, when you're in this back position, you're fully extended in the legs, you're tall in the chest and your, your hands are with the handle kind of in your armpits. Now, the first thing that's going to happen from this position, a lot of people start bending the knees and this is how they get into that leg press position where their butt hits their heel. That's, that's junk, junk technique. So again, it's kind of like a safe doesn't mean good because when you look, their back is straight, that must be good, but it's really not. So from this position, the first thing that's going to happen is you're actually going to extend your arms. Now that arm extension, um, and that reach towards the flywheel creates a window for your knees to come up in. So what you're actually going to do is extend the, uh, arms. You're going to begin to come in with the back and then you're going to bend the knees. And then when you are all the way in again, uh, the handles way close to the flywheel. Again, you're going to then push with the legs, get tall in the back and finish with the hands. So on the way in it's hands, back legs. And on the way out, it's legs, back hands. That's proper rowing technique. Um, and there's that learning curve and you really need maximal efficiency on the rower or you'll kind of like waste your time a little bit. So do that hire a coach if you need to, but YouTube is probably fine. Now, let us dive into the ski erg. Um, and let's talk about the negatives because the cons, because um, I'm kind of 
wrapping the cons on the rower. And some of them are similar uh, with the ski. Biggest con of the ski erg um, is the learning curve. It's unnatural for a lot of people at the outset. It requires some focus. You know, you've really got to learn kind of what's happening. And I'm not going to even attempt to like describe ski erg technique. Again, I'll go on YouTube or whatever Vimeo and find a video I like and share it in the show notes uh, for episode 76. But there's a learning curve. It's unnatural for a lot of people, similar to the way I described the kettlebell swing. And by the way, the ski erg is like the opposite of a kettlebell swing. And I'll dive more into that in a minute. But um, similar to the kettlebell swing, we're like, remember when I said a few, like 20 minutes ago that like, if the bell starts moving before the hip reaches extension, what's powering the bell? Because the hip extension is supposed to be what's creating the force that moves the bell. So it's a little bit like that with the ski. When you start to watch people kind of get a hang of it, it's like it's all arms. When in fact, we're actually hinging back just like we do in a kettlebell swing. But the difference is the kettlebell is above us. So the weight we're pulling is above us. So in reality, it's kind of hips first finish with the hands it's not hands finish with the hips so again i'll i'll dig up some videos and and put them online or worst comes to worst i'll film one myself the other con of the ski if you've got like kids or you're just kind of like add is like it requires some focus you can't like zone out and watch tv on the rower because you're basically looking up looking down looking up looking down uh you're also you know it's also hard to listen to music you like if you're going to get a ski erg as your as your uh sort of like you know killer cardio solution um you know, have loud music or good speakers in your garage or wherever you're working out because, like, it's really hard to, like, keep headphones in your skull on the ski erg, which for some reason is, like, a huge pet peeve of mine. Like, there's nothing worse to me than, like, having headphones in my ears. And by the way, I use the, um, I'll link in the show notes to these Defender Shield headphones that are low EMF so I don't, like, radiate my brain while I'm trying to, like, exercise or walk my dog. But they're, like, Biggest thing, I do not use wireless headphones. That is just, to me, like, I'm sorry, but it's just dumb. It's like putting Bluetooth permanently on either side of your brain, which I'll link to the episode I did with Daniel DeBon, who's the founder of Defender Shield, actually, which are the headphones I'm about to tell you about. Um, and he talks about just how madness that is. And he's got a book called Radiation Nation that it's like under 10 bucks. Great read. Talks about kids, talks about the current science. It talks about countries around the world that are actually doing something about the level of radiation we're being exposed to, which if, if you listen to my podcast with Arthur Menard, who's the founder of Lambs, which is the underwear I have on right now, which is basically, and we talk about on the show with Darren Oleen, all sorts of EMF content. I'm going to link to all of it in the show notes, but back to my story. I really don't like when headphones get just ripped out of my skull. It happens all the time, like when my dog poops and I have to like bend over and pick it up and he like pulls or something and his leash is around my headphone wire and it like rips these things out of my skull. And I had like a song that was like chilling me out on and it's all of a sudden I'm in like fight or flight. But that happens all the time on the ski erg. So like don't even try to wear headphones unless you've got like 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 the headphones are like glued into your head. Um and maybe I'm the only one. Maybe my ears are just like misshapen. But anyways, so, okay, that's it. That's all the cons of the ski, really. Um, now let's go to pros of the ski. Pros of the ski uh, is that it's kind of the opposite of how we spend our days. So like the bike and the rower are seated. Guess what? The ski, you're standing. 
like I said, it's like the opposite of the kettlebell swing. So that's actually why I love doing ski swing workouts. In fact, I do this miserable triathlon where it's ski swing fan bike, ski swing fan bike. And I do 10 calories on each or reps. 20 on each, 30 on each, 40 on each, 50 on each. And I do that. I work up to 50 and then I cycle it. And I did that the, the other day. I did it for 60 and I've also done it for 90 minutes. Uh, but I, I probably prefer to do 10, 20, 30. And then I do that for an hour. So 10 calories on the ski, 10 swings, 10 calories on the bike, 20 calories on the ski, 20 swings, 20 calories on the bike, 30 calories on the ski, 30 swings, 30 calories on the bike, back to 10. And I cycle that for an hour miserable triathlon, but extremely beneficial to posture and performance and core training. So, um, you could eliminate the bike and then you've just got the, the ski swing tandem, but the ski really reinforces diaphragm and core function when done well and properly, because it helps us control rib position and ribs flaring is a huge issue for people. And I started to get really into this, uh, the skier way back when I lived in, uh, Boston, and I was starting to really get into breathing around the time I started carrying that cinder block to work. If, if you followed me on Instagram long enough, my breathing journey, at least in terms of core and diaphragm function began, uh, by carrying this bell five miles a day and this, uh, excuse me, the cinder block. And it was on my shoulder and that inhibits any chest breathing. So I found after the first few days of doing that, my diaphragm was sore because my air was descending deeper than it ever had before because I had no ability to use my upper neck and chest. So, um, I found that the ski erg, as I was trying to like really strengthen my rib position, I found the ski erg created a scenario where my body wanted to open scissor as some people would call it, um, or my ribs wanted to flare as I kind of pulled down, but you actually have to activate your abs and create a scenario where you are creating that sort of container, that brace that Stu McGill talks about. So um, the skier is great for that reinforcement of core function and rib position. The other thing I really like about the ski is that you can move your feet around. You can stagger a little bit to emphasize different muscles or techniques. You can give certain muscles a rest. Uh, you can go symmetrical. You can go, you can mix it up, which keeps you entertained. But unlike the rower, it also allows you to avoid like cramping in the TFL or anywhere else. You can kind of move around. Um, the other thing I like about it, and again, Again, there's a learning curve, but you can pull straight. You can also do something I call the butterfly. And I often butterfly when I'm doing short sprints. Just yesterday I did, uh, I did a, um, I don't know how many rounds I did. I just like beat myself up for 20 minutes, but it was 250 meter row, excuse me, 250 meter ski straight into goblet squats, straight into push-ups, And then I did like a certain number of breaths for recovery and then went back into that. Now, what I did there, 250 meter sprint that takes one minute, maybe less. Um, so I'm going to go all out. And what I did was this thing called the butterfly and I'll again, find a note, uh, find a video and put it in the show notes, but the butterfly, if you envision just like pulling straight down, that's kind of the more conventional, like Nordic skiing approach. But if you butterfly, you're actually able to get more of the, uh, line, the line attached to the handle, the, the ropes out of the machine. And the more of those you can get out, the more of that sort of distance you can get out of the machine, the more you're putting on the fly 
flywheel and the more distance you're covering. Um, this can get highly intense. <laughs> There's this video that I posted on Instagram a while ago where we were doing 250 meter sprints in Paris a bunch of years ago at a CrossFit gym. And I was literally jumping into the air to get max power on those things and get through my meters the fastest. So the fastest that I possibly could, I probably couldn't keep up with some of the dudes at R2, which is the CrossFit gym in Paris that I taught at years ago. Um, the skier is also incredibly easy to cycle into a Metcon. So if you were doing like, you know, whatever goblet squat, push up, swing, metabolic, the rower, you'd have to kind of strap your feet in the bike. You kind of like got to climb onto the skier. You literally just grab the handles and go the biggest pro for the ski, the biggest kind of, uh, feather in its cap. It takes up literally no space. It bolts to the wall. So if you've got like a garage gym, you know, I'm so stoked. My garage gym that I'm going to build in the coming months, I'm going to get the squat rack that literally folds into the wall. I'm going to get, I was looking on the website, I'll link in the show notes to this thing, but there's a bench that collapses that you can hang on the wall. And then you got the ski erg. So I will literally lose no space in my garage. Um, someday if Amelia ever gets a vehicle. Fun fact, I haven't bought a car in 10 years, but I'm about to buy one. I haven't owned a car in a long time. I haven't owned a car in almost 10 years. Uh, fun fact. So, you know, don't come after me for global warming. I haven't driven in 10 years. Anyway, um, you lose no space. So in the event that Amelia gets a car or new house has a two-car garage, so my gym will literally take up no space. And then, you know, in 10 minutes, I unfold the squat rack. I take the bench off the wall, the ski ergs right there. I don't know what else I'm going to have, but, um, yeah, so no space. And by the way, if you can't bolt it to the wall, uh, you can buy this platform that will enable you to put it wherever you want, but it's not an eyesore. It doesn't take up a ton of space. Um, it's a pretty cool thing for the garage. So... Well, guys, well, this show is way longer than I was expecting, but I hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, you know, in a pull-up bar, you know, if you get the pull-up bar, uh, you know, you're set. So killer cardio solution, three kettlebells, and pull-up bar, probably like the home gym of champions, in my opinion. And then, you know, wherever you want to take it, you can always add more. Like I said, I'm actually about to um, embark in 2021 on a little bit of a more conventional strength program. So, um, I am going to put that fold away squat rack, like I told you about. Uh, and like I already mentioned on the Eric Cressy show, Eric and I, neither of us can back squat, but I can back squat with something called the Cambered bar, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. And if you've got bad shoulders, this is a, a bar that Eric introduced me to about 10 years ago that allows either injured shoulders or expensive shoulders. So if you've got like a million dollar a year baseball throwing arm, you might not want to put it into an externally rotated back squat with a lot of weight. So it allows you to kind of grab the bar by like your armpits and just activate lats and abs and everything and squat like so much weight with no risk. So I'm actually planning in the back of my mind and you guys are the first to, to hear this, but I'm going to start doing, um, heavy, heavy back squat with the cambered bar and heavy deadlift, um, twice a week. And then I'm probably going to do a dynamic day of both as well. So four days a week, I'm going to be doing either deadlifts or back squats conventionally. And then the rest of the wor workouts and things will be kettlebells and fan bikes and ski ergs and all the other crap that I do. Um, and I'm going to do that just to try to increase my max raw strength, 
um, and just mix it up a little bit because it's been a long time since I've been able to do that. And now with this upcoming garage gym, you know, I wasn't going to put a squat rack in my front yard and, um, but having, I've not back squatted, don't tell anybody, but I have not back squatted probably since I was a client of Eric's, which is like in 2010. Uh, but I have front squatted a couple of times and deadlifted, but all right, guys. Well, hey, I, I do hope you enjoyed this show. And as always, share it around. That means a lot to me. And I hope it was helpful. And anybody looking to put a garage gym in their house, uh, this is going to be a great show for them, I hope. So that's it, guys. Over and out from me. If you're listening to this on Friday when it comes out, uh, have a great weekend. And I will see you guys soon. Over and out. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. For the show notes for today's episode, head on over to coachjoedi.com and click podcast from the menu. If you'd like to leave a review, which I would absolutely appreciate on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, please do so. These mean the world to me. They help me understand what my audience is gaining from these shows that I'm pouring my heart into and ultimately helps us to reach more people because these platforms like shows that get reviews. So it helps us out so much. If you're digging the shows, this would be so great if you could just leave a review. Also, I still give away $150 every two weeks to kettlebellkings.com to somebody that reviews my show. So if you leave a review, just screenshot it and email it to hey at coachjodi.com and my team will enter you to win this $150 gift card so that you can outfit your home with a couple of kettlebells on me. Also, when you're in the show notes, you'll find links to any products that we discussed. For full transparency, some of these links do contain affiliate links. This helps me to fund these episodes, pay my staff, and ensure that I'm taking care of the people that take care of us. So I absolutely appreciate you clicking links and using codes. It helps keep this train on the tracks. All right, guys, until next week, thank you as always for listening. I really appreciate you guys subscribing and listening to this show every week. I really put a lot into them, so thank you so much. And you'll hear from me again next week. Take care.